Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, brought to you by Loserpool. I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and this is episode 32. Later on in the show, I'll be joined by Arsenal fan Lee Gunner and former elite-level referee Keith Hackett. We'll be reflecting on a controversial game at Selhurst Park on Sunday afternoon. But before we get into that, I'm sure I speak on behalf of all Arsenal fans when I say we'd like to offer our deepest condolences to the family of Mr. Vishai and all associated with Leicester City Football Club. He tragically lost his life along with four other passengers in a helicopter crash just outside of the King Power Stadium shortly after their 1-1 draw with West Ham United. From the minute I heard this awful news, I've been in shock and and I just can't get my head around it. I can't even begin to imagine how the family's affected and Leicester City supporters are feeling. This was a man who not only put his heart and soul into this football club, delivering their only ever top flight title victory against all the odds, but he also played a huge role in the local community, helping children's hospitals in the area with funding through the club's charitable organisation. Described as the quiet man with a huge heart who made Leicester believe Mr. Vishai will be sorely missed. I'd like to send my condolences also to the family of the Brighton and Hove Albion supporter who was taken ill at the Amex Stadium this Saturday and later died in hospital. Saturday really was a horrible day for football as former Spurs, Monaco, Chelsea and England star Glenn Hoddle was taken ill when working for BT Sport this weekend. It's since emerged that he had a heart attack. He's said to be responding well to treatment in hospital and fingers crossed he makes a full recovery. Football, as we all know, can be very tribal at times. However, events like these put things into perspective, don't they? I often tell people that football is my religion, that it's life. But in actual fact, after a dark day like Saturday, you realize that football is just nothing. It's nothing really, is it? It's nothing but a game. Nobody should go to a football match and not return home, whether you're a club chairman, a fan or or a broadcaster or whatever. Turning our attentions to events at Selhurst Park on Sunday afternoon, where our winning run finally came to an end as we were held to a 2-2 draw by Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace. Um, Yeah, I guess, well, the winning run has come to a halt, but that's no reason to be negative. In my opinion, the run we were on perhaps masked some of our deficiencies of late, and I guess this will serve as a reminder to the fans at least that there is plenty of work to be done before we can consider ourselves as a certainty for the top four. I'm confident Unai Emery will be well aware of that, but I do worry that some of our supporters 
had allowed themselves to get slightly carried away in recent weeks. Am I saying that I'm glad we didn't win? Of course not. But I am looking at yesterday's result from a positive lens. It's, it's a reminder that we're still a team very much in transition. Selhurst Park is a very difficult place to go and to get out of there with a point, considering how poor our overall performance was, has to be regarded as a good thing. If you'd have told me before the season begun, we'd have 22 points from our opening 10 and be sitting in fourth place, I'd have bitten your arm off. And I often think that supporters get bogged down into single fixtures too much and single results. I heard somebody say today, for fuck's sake, we can't even beat Crystal Palace. The fact that it was Crystal Palace is, is neither here nor there for me. You know, everyone's always banging on about how competitive this league is and that everybody can beat anybody. So let's look at the overall picture rather than this one game in isolation. Now, I don't want to talk about the referees' decisions too much because I have someone joining me on the line a little later who's far more qualified. And I know from the many conversations we've had before, he'll give us an unbiased and frank opinion. So I won't get into that just yet, but I do want to talk about a few other points. Shkodran Mustafi has faced fierce criticism once again for A, his reckless challenge which led to Palace's first penalty of the afternoon and B, for not taking out a Palace player on the halfway line when Zaha eventually, I would say, conned Martin Atkinson into awarding a second penalty. Now, I thought overall his performance wasn't too bad. Well, it certainly wasn't as bad as some would have you believe. His challenge on Kuyate in the first half was clumsy, rash and it's clear he was totally unaware of his surroundings when he went to ground. But once again, we saw a player purposely dangling a leg in order to engineer contact and win a spot kick. Yes, Mustafi should know better. And foolishly, his actions gave the referee a decision to make. But why isn't anybody talking about Bern Leno's substandard goalkeeping, which led to the ball being loose in our penalty area in the first place? You could also say that, that Rob Holding was fouled in the build-up. I certainly thought so. Um, you know, should Crystal Palace have even been awarded that corner? Not in my opinion. Let me know yours. Tweet me at Chronicles underscore AFC. Now, moving on, I called him Granite Carlos on last week's podcast, and the Swiss international certainly lived up to the billing when his free kick flew into the top corner and leveled things shortly after the break. To be fair to him, I thought he did okay at left back. I'd made a point on social media prior to the game of saying that I felt Roy Hodgson's side would look to target him. I expected the likes of Andros Townsend and Wilfred Zaha to try and isolate him as often as possible, run at him, get him turning inside onto his weaker right foot. Now, our regular listeners will know I'm quite the Granite Xhaka fan, but even I know turning quickly and sharply isn't his strong point. Now, the one time Zaha did isolate him, one versus one, he ended up winning a penalty. Not saying I agree with the referee's decision. It's a difficult one for me. I'm, I'm kind of, I can see it from both sides, but, you know, ultimately, in my opinion, Zaha has probably just conned him, you know. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Every time I watch it, I change my mind. Um... But anyway, going back to my original point, that was clearly an area that Palace could hurt us. And I think Roy Hodgson at that point will have probably been thinking, why on earth have we not been trying to expose that area 
throughout because Zaha started on the other side. You know, um, I don't know if that was a deliberate attempt to try and pin Hector Bayer in back or or what it was. But I, I would have looked at that Arsenal team and identified that as a weak spot and really looked to home in on that. So I'm sure, um, sorry, I'm surprised that Roy didn't do that. Um, you know, let me be clear. I'm not in any way criticizing Granit Xhaka here because even the most competent of left backs would struggle in a one-on-one with a player of Zaha's ability. And this guy is a deep-lying central midfield player forced to play there purely because he's left-footed. He won't enjoy playing there. I feel uncomfortable seeing him operate there. And I'm sure he he feels just as badly about the whole thing. Um, whether he'll say that in public is a completely different story. Just touching on that penalty uh, before I move on. Granit Xhaka did actually come out after the game and say that he did foul Wilfred Zaha. Not entirely sure why he said that. I'm not sure if he's just trying to stay out of trouble. Um, I didn't think he, he really made a move there. Um but like I said, we'll leave it to the expert, Mr. Keith Hackett, a little bit later on in the show. And uh, I'm happy to go with with his thoughts on that and 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 take his stance, whatever it may be. Uh, we've been saying all season that the more we watch Unai Emery's side, the more we'll understand the strengths and weaknesses of his style. I've said before that the fullbacks are vital in this style of play. We need them to be mobile, able to get up and down and capable in the final third. With Granit Xhaka at left back and Licksteiner at right back, (laughs) you could quite clearly see what we were missing. Um, And, you know, let's hope that Hector Bellerin isn't out for too long because that's a massive blow to us. I think we also learned on Sunday that Granit Xhaka and Lucas Torreira remains the go-to pairing in the middle of the park. Do you agree, disagree? You know what to do. Tweet me at Chronicles underscore AFC and let me know. Um, but again, I'm not picking on a player. I, I, I want to stress that Matteo Guendouzi is not to blame. You know, however, it was the first time the pair had started together and it showed. Uh, I wouldn't class that as an error on the manager's part because he was a victim of circumstance this weekend and forced to shake things about. Going back to the goal that gave us the lead, I think we can all agree the ball has come off Alex Lacazette's arm. Aubameyang's popped up at the far post and squeezed it in. Goal line technology had to come into play there. But at that point, it felt as though we were going to see the game out. Arsenal playing poorly in the first half and then springing into life after half time has been the common theme this season. Again, I'm going to leave the decision chat until later on. Um, So I'm going to park that for the time being. But I thought a draw was probably a fair result on the balance of play. Had we won that, it would have been robbery, um, in my view. We didn't play well at all. Mesut Ozil was quiet. He threw a bit of a strop when he was taken off. But, But for me, that's okay because it shows that he cares. I read an interesting stat today um, highlighting that Ozil received just seven passes from the midfield pair of Torreira and Guendouzi compared to the 24 he received from Xhaka and Torreira versus Leicester last Monday. Um, So a real difference there. Not sure uh, whether you guys think that's a significant statistic or not. I certainly do. Um, But you know what? Aside from Ozil... um, Lacazette was very quiet, played more basketball, it seemed, um, than football. Aubameyang was quiet apart from his goal. And I thought Iwobi performed like the Iwobi of last season. And that was a bit disappointing. It just wasn't our day. Nothing seemed to click. 
we take the point and, and we move forward, I guess. Blackpool on Wednesday in the small matter of Arsenal versus Liverpool, which we'll be looking ahead to on our preview show available from Thursday morning. You know the drill by now. Uh, right, I'm going to take a break and upon my return, I shall be joined by Arsenal fan Lee Gunner to get his thoughts on Sunday's draw. Enjoying what you've heard so far? If so, make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes. Lee, welcome back to the show, mate. How have you been? It's been a while. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. Um, appreciate that. I've been, I've been very good, actually. A bit gutted because I've missed... About six, seven games in a row, man. Like that's unlike me. So I can't wait to go and watch us play Blackpool on Wednesday. That's that's going to be um, that's going to be a good game, hopefully. Yeah, fingers crossed. Get to have a look at some of the other players as well that we don't really get to see that much of in the Premier League, I guess. So uh, there's that added bonus too with games like that, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, hopefully Smith Rowe, even Eddie and Ketia, maybe. Um, yeah. We've had a lot of games recently. We've had what three games in the last six days that's before right, this yeah. one. So. Yeah, hopefully rotate the squad and see some of the younger players get a, get a little stab and, and see how they get on. Definitely, definitely. Now, Lee, um, turning our attention to the 2-2, almost said 1-1 there, the 2-2 draw at Selhurst Park on Sunday. What were your overall thoughts on the performance? Um, arguably our worst of the season, to be honest. Um, a friend of mine was actually at the game and... Um, and he t- um, texted me when he got to the ground and said the pitch looks awful. Yeah, and he said that um, the water's holding up on it, and like the penalty boxes where the keepers are practicing and warming up. He said the ball's just sticking. And um, like I mean, watching the game, I, I, like I said, I didn't go. I watched it on TV, but the pitch just looked really slow. And I'm not saying that's an excuse. I'm not blaming the pitch. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we didn't we didn't turn up. Too many of our players didn't didn't put a performance in at the weekend, but you know, I, I was I was left feeling a little bit gutted um, at, at full time because, you know, there, there's a hoo-ha over whether that was a penalty or not. I still don't think it's a penalty. You know, he's he's initiated the contact by dangling his legs and and doing a backflip, like flipping his legs up behind his back and that. It's like, but I suppose if you look at it overall, a draw was probably the fair result because we had the handball from the corner, um, which resulted in a Bamiyang's goal um, for the first half. First half, I mean, I mean, I've seen a lot of first halves this season and that was definitely our worst first half performance. And and I know we were a second half team and we came out and we went bang, bang, two goals. And I thought, right, that's it. We're, we're, we're going to do this now. But I think where we um, we ultimately shot ourselves in the foot was as soon as we got that lead, we didn't continue like on the front foot. We sort of sat back and, and invited them on. Um, you know, on, on reflection at the time, I said, look, I thought Ozil was right in being substituted. I don't think he had a good game at all. Um, but we didn't really keep the ball after he went off. So, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to him being substituted. I don't, I don't think he had a very good game at all. But you could say that for maybe eight out of 11 players. I thought Awobi was poor. Um, Mustafi, that was probably the worst game he's had this season. Even Aubameyang, like, you know, because we played Xhaka at left-back, Normally, that's Monreal playing at left back, and he will yeah. overlap Abamyang. Um, but there was no support for Abamyang down that flank. Although I do think Xhaka played really well, um, considering he's not a left back. And his goal, wow, what a goal! But I suppose on reflection, two-two, probably a fair result. Um, 
but once you take the lead at Palace, you you expect to um, you expect to win, especially when they um, they haven't won a game at home this season. You know. Yeah, certainly. I'd agree with you. I think it's always disappointing to drop a couple of points from a winning position. But yeah, I guess overall, it probably was a fair result. Now, Lee, in a funny sort of way, would you say dropping a couple of points will ground A, some of the players and and B, some of the supporters who perhaps have gotten a little carried away with themselves in terms of what we can achieve this season? Oh, that's Arsenal fans for you, man. <laughs> you know, we win uh, we win eleven straight games, and all of a sudden we're the best team in the world again. But you know, and as soon as we lose, oh, that's it, everyone out. You know, that is so reactionary in our fan base. Um, but like, I look here, and I've I've seen a lot of pundits, especially Merson, um, go down the route of bashing us defensively. And listen, let's have it right. We've not been great defensively this season, and we have ridden our luck and offered up so many chances to teams that haven't taken them. And then yeah. we've got into half-time, drawing the game somehow, and then second half, we've blitzed them. So, yeah, I think um, all the talk before Palace was um, was about Liverpool, you know? So now, hopefully, that'll, that'll keep everyone quiet again, and we'll just go about our business um, in, in, the next couple, um, in the next game against Blackpool, and, um, and then obviously go into the Liverpool game. But for me... The, the objectives haven't changed. You know, whether we'd won 15, 16, 20 straight games, top four would be a massive achievement for Arsenal this season based on the fact we've not got Champions League for the last two. So that's, that's for me, the target. Um, I look at it and say it was maybe a point gained because, like I said, that was arguably our worst performance for a full 90 minutes all season. Um, yeah. And yeah, let, let's hope that some of the players that, um, that didn't play well have a look at theirself and go, right, well, I can't do that again because like years gone by when we've had the great teams, the Invincibles, the 2002, the 98 team, um, you know, you would not have eight players go missing in a game. That happened against Palace at the weekend. So listen, we, we might wipe our mouths and just pull it down so that it was just a bad day, but we nicked a, nicked a point, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. You know, at the end of the day, you're not going to win every game. The Invincibles drew 12 games, didn't they? So that that is not sort of anything unexpected. We didn't play very well, but we got a point. And, and a point is better than no points. So we'll take that and we'll move on. Um, just finally, Lee, um, we, we're talking referees tonight. Um, later on in the show, Keith Hackett's joining me to just dissect some of those decisions. Just quickly... What would you rate Martin Atkinson's performance out of 10? <laughs> because I'm going to put it to Keith and, and see if we get anywhere near his rating. <laughs> uh, fair play for having him on, by the way. Fair, fair play. Um, that's, that's a big pull for you, mate. So good, good one. Cheers, mate. Um, I'll be honest, right? I'm not one to really coat off referees because over the course of a season, these things normally even themselves out. But with that being said... I do think that he had an absolute mare on Sunday. Um, the, the penalty um, from Mustafi giving away the first penalty wasn't a corner. Rob yep, Holden had his shirt ripped um, and it wasn't a corner. And the linesman on that side, I've actually seen it back, the linesman on that side couldn't see because the sun was in his eyes. Wow. You know, so it's like, yeah, he's being blinded by the sun. So, you know... You, Fair enough, right? But Mustafi shouldn't have done what he'd done and it ended up being a penalty, blah, blah, blah. Um, the Lacazette handball, he missed that. He missed the um, the pull on Lacazette's shirt just before the handball. 
yep. which should have been a penalty. Um, and then the Zaha one, you know, Xhaka's come out and said that he made contact and it was a penalty. I don't know why he's come out and said that, to be honest with you, but I don't think that's a penalty. And, and I'd say that Atkinson's performance throughout the whole 90 minutes was probably the worst refereeing performance I've seen for a long, long time, to be honest. Not just for us, but for Palace as well. Some of the decisions, either way, were just baffling. And it's like, you know, you just want, you just want referees to be consistent, yeah. you know? And, you know, they're just... <laughs> You know, everyone raves about this is the best league in the world, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we're far from having the best referees in, in the world. You yeah. know, and, I, and I've always said that long term, later down the road, maybe the Premier League referees should go and referee in Spain for a weekend and the Spanish League referees come here, for example. Do you know what I mean? And chop and change that around. Because, you know, if, if, you're, if you're English and you've grown up in England and you're now an English Premier League referee, you support a football team. That's how I look at it. So there's yeah. always going to be some level of bias there. That's how, I, you know, I'm, maybe I'm just thinking outside the box here, but I don't know whether he supported Palace or not, but some of the decisions <laughs> he gave them were a bit off key. But listen, maybe maybe um, like Arsenal, maybe he just had a bad weekend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. So out of 10, oh, God. if you're going to rank uh, him on the, on the uh, referee ometer, whatever you want Well, to I'll, I'll be polite to him because we got away with a handball um, the hand of Lacazette. The hand of Lacazette. <laughs> the hand of God. Um, so I'll give him, I'll give him a three out of ten. Okay, and that's you being polite, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If um, if we hadn't have done that and got away with that, then I would have said one. But you know, the, like I said, these things over a course of a season will even themselves out, and they normally do. So you know, at the end of the day, there was some real off-key decisions in that game, but at the same time. I'm sure we'll get some later down the road. So, Certainly, certainly. Lee, thank you very much for joining me, Jimmy. Just quickly let our listeners know how they can follow you on social media and keep up to date with uh, what you're doing. Yeah, um, my Instagram and my Twitter is LeeGunner82. So you can follow me there and, um, yeah, see, see what I've got to say about games and the manager and appearances from, from youth team and stuff like that, all things Arsenal, really. Good stuff. Lee, thank you once again. And I look forward to speaking to you again very, very soon. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having me on again. That was Lee Gunner. Do give him a follow on Twitter and you can keep up with his uh, his latest. Now, going to take another quick, quick break. I promise you, just a quick one. And I'll be back. And joining me on the line will be former top-level referee and former head of the PGMOL as it goes Keith Hackett to shed some light on uh, some of those questionable decisions that we saw at the weekend. The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18 is now on sale. The Chronicles of Aguna tells the story of Arsenal's final season through a supporter's eyes, attempts to shed light on some of the season's major talking points and features exclusive interviews with Ray Parler, Kevin Campbell, Tom Watt and Robbie Lyle. Available to order now from Amazon, Waterstones and all major bookstores. The Chronicles of Aguna 2017-18. Order your copy now by clicking the link in the description. Keith, welcome to the show. How have you been? It's been a while since we last spoke. Uh, delighted to be back on, Harry. I've been busy. Um, I've launched a new book with Paul Trevelyan, You Are the Ref, 
300 questions and answers on the laws of the game, uh, which I think people will find uh, enjoyable to read and then try and answer. And then a, a fairly extensive piece on uh, VAR, uh, how it operates, how it should operate, and why it should be in the Premier League. Sounds great. And, and as you know, we agree on the whole VAR thing, so I'll definitely be checking that one out. Um, yeah. And we'll definitely get you back on another time as well, Keith, so we can, once I've obviously had a read of the book, we can really talk about it in detail and, and right. everybody know how they can get it and stuff. Um, I want to talk to you about the Arsenal-Crystal Palace game at the weekend, a few controversial decisions there. Yeah. I'm always interested to get your thoughts because you're the most educated official person I've ever come across and I really love talking to you so um, definitely want to get your thoughts now I want to start with what was the first major decision of the afternoon Crystal Palace's first penalty um, it was awarded in the first half for a foul committed by Shkodran Mustafi on Czech Kuyate but in your opinion was there a foul in the build-up because I certainly thought so and I didn't think it should have been a corner but I'm guessing you've got a view on that. No, I think I think there was a foul in the build-up, um, and it was it was clearly missed. And had uh, a decision been uh, taken on that one, uh, then there may have well been a different outcome. Uh, what's concerning me, Harry, is that I spoke to a Premier League assistant referee recently, and he sort of shocked me a little bit because he said that under the new sort of Operation, uh, if you like, produced by the PGMOL, they're almost advised not to flag on these types of incidents and, and let the referee have the first chance. And rather than flag, actually communicate verbally. Now, for me, I think that um, is not a good process. And I think this, this particular foul was missed. It ought to have been picked up. It wasn't. Um, if we go to the challenge then I think Atkinson's got little choice other than to award a penalty kick. Sounds harsh, but, um, you know, a foul's committed, it's a careless challenge, and therefore, for me, that's a that's a penalty kick. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that one, I think the challenge by Mustafi left the referee with no choice. I think, yeah. as an Arsenal fan, my grievance is with, with the foul that was missed in the ball. And so. I think you're right. I mean, uh, I... I don't know why they should miss it. Um, it was an obvious one. And, um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, or we, in the past we spent a lot of time with, with referees, making them technically aware um, of the consequences of the build-up, the error, uh, the, the tactical fouls that might occur and be alert to them. Um, and Martin Atkinson is a very experienced referee and, and so far, in the last couple of seasons, has been in top form. He was, um, I don't know, maybe fatigue is coming in uh, at such an early stage of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's quite possible. I just think that from, you know, and obviously my knowledge of, of sort of the refereeing processes and, and stuff isn't as as extensive as yours, but from me, from my point of view, you know, you see a player coming over with a ripped shirt. I think that says to you that the shirt's been pulled doesn't it I mean it's not yeah, like there's anything yeah. for it to get hooked on or, or anything like that no I, I think I think generally what's concerning me is you know refereeing has to get clever it has to get smart and and you know we've now called the guy who was a linesman in my day we call him assistant referee so he's got to assist 
And we've also said quite clearly the fourth official also has to keep an eye on the game in order to help the processes and get the accurate calls. So for me, um, I must say that overall, I, I, I think that uh, the major decision for me uh, was the undoing of, uh, of Arsenal and Crystal Palace got a draw. Um, yeah. You know, both penalty kicks uh, were tight. We know the history of, Z- of Zaha. He, you know, he is fouled a lot, but he tends to go down easy. He was fouled, in my opinion, on this occasion. And, and rightly, the penalty kick was awarded. But for me, the big decision was the missed hand ball. I thought that was the easiest decision of, of, of the afternoon. Like, is that clearly handled the cross? Um, and um, from it, Crystal Palace uh, scored the equaliser. Um, and for me, you know, the whole game has been turned on on an incorrect decision. Uh, I know I know we can argue about the, the free kick leading up to penalty kick. We can discuss the two penalty kicks. Uh, I, for me, for one, think they were. I think players, defenders in particular, have got to get smarter in terms of how they approach challenges. I think sometimes don't even make the challenge. Uh, which may be odd for some supporters to understand, uh, but we ha- and we have got players going down easily uh, and feigning injury. I think on these ones, I'm I'm happy. I thought that Zaha was fouled. He still exaggerates. Yeah, I don't like it. It then it it, it almost says as a referee, I'm not I'm not going to be bothered next time. I'm not going to give it. But he can't do that. The referee's got to apply the laws. Yeah, but, absolutely. You know, Harry, I, I know we're biased and, and in the VAR, but that handball should have been picked up without VAR. Um, he should have been picked up by the referee. He seemed to be in a good position. Um, I can only assume that he, he probably didn't think the hand had contacted with the ball, but it did. Yeah. Um, and, of course, if you're the VAR and you're operating... The ball's in the back of the net. This is exactly what the VAR can do. They can review any incident leading up to that particular decision. And when we go back to the penalty kick and the, and the miss foul in the build-up, again, because the penalty kick's been awarded, the, the process of the VAR allows the review. Yeah. So uh, I generally think that um, Arsenal have some grievance um, on the outcome of the result and, and referees have got to get these big calls right. The, you know, for me, this is, this is the area that we brought professional referees in. We brought them in to train physically, to raise awareness of the game and the tactics employed to prepare and, and to get the big decisions right. And yeah, sadly... Absolutely. Sadly, two goals. We can talk about a penalty kick. It wouldn't. It wouldn't have got there, would it, if it had, if it had blown for the free kick? And um, I, I, I just looked at Lacazette, and I've gone handball straight away. <laughs> and then I'm waiting for the whistle. Nothing happens. Nothing comes. goes in the back of the net. And instinctively, I, I've got a better view of it all than the referee because I can look again, which I did. And, and uh, instantly, within seconds, I'm, I know the referee's made an error. 
That's right. That's right. And it just feels like we're just by not bringing it in straight away, we're just delaying the inevitable. We, you know, it's gonna come in. FIFA are gonna force it eventually, and and we're gonna go through that transitional period a lot later than everybody else. Um, yeah. One question that I wanted to ask you, Keith, if if you're a referee and you're learning your trade and you're being trained and and things like that, in sort of the the Zaha case where you know there is a foul there, but he has sort of exaggerated the contact. Is there anything that referees are told to look out for? Is there sort of any signs or trigger points that referees are, are asked to look, be aware of and, and look out for when they make the decision? I think the first thing that we're, lo- we're looking for is we're looking for the for the body shape, believe it or not. Um, you know, one, one of the things that we see clearly is that, that players manufacture the contact with the, de- with the defender. So in, in that sense, what, we, what we're looking at is if we're looking down the channel, we can sometimes detect the movement of the attacker moving towards the defender offline, off if you like. He, okay. he moves to the right or to the left, wherever the defender is, to manufacture contact. And, of course, when he's going down, he may be going first before contact, but then what he's doing is he's almost like official looking to hook the leg of the of his opponent, the defender. So that those are the signs that we look for. We, you know, as as referees, we we play a lot of videos of acts of simulation yeah. and these decisions in order to try and raise awareness. Because if you've seen it before, it goes into that mental library of understanding that says, "I've seen that before, and I can I can act yeah. um, accurately." The other thing is a dolphin movement. It, it's almost like you get the player, if, if you like, he's, he's moving forward and then there's an upward movement, which is almost like a, a rise off his normal uh, horizontal level in terms of his running pattern. Yeah. And he, as he goes towards the player, he suddenly goes for a bit of a, an upward movement as though it's a dive. And all these things... Uh, help the other the other thing is is um, sometimes you you'll recognize if you're walking on the pavement and you trip instantly your hands come out yep because you're surprised mm-hmm. and you, you, you you're out with the hands and flat and often with the eyes um, it's the head first the arms are parallel with the body i mean i'm I'm trying to explain it and then as the contact is made, up goes the hands um, in an exaggerated fashion, in an appealing fashion yep. to the referee. Look at me, I've been fouled. Give me a penalty kick. Mm-hmm. And so they have to do that. They also yep. have to, sadly, a lot of people will, will, will not like what I say, but I think you've also got to prepare, prepare and understand your players. Yep. That's and, you know, true, yeah. if, if, I, if, if I, as a referee, have seen somebody exaggerate and I've taken no action make no mistake I'm going to run alongside that player and I'm going to tell him in no uncertain uh, fashion what I think about his actions and to cut it down but uh, you know a lot of this can be avoided a lot of it can be avoided I mean by if you like a review process by the football association with three people sitting on the disciplinary panel 
let's not wait for the referee to take action. When he's missed one, or he has taken an, an action on a yellow card, and he's yellow carded the player, let it then go to the review panel. Because at the moment, a yellow card, and that's all they get, is not a deterrent. Yeah, it, no, it's not. Really. It's not stopping the diving. That's right. You know, and and we're looking at games. I'm sure you are, Harry. We look at games, and and the players who are not going to ground just to get a foul. They're just exaggerating when they're challenged. Yeah, that's and right. You think, and what are you exactly. doing? You know, they go to ground so easily, and it's all it, it's putting pressure on the referee. And ultimately, for me. If I've seen two or three of those when I was a referee, I'd bring the captain to, I'd stop the game, bring the captain to one side and say, look, I know what's going off here. I'm not going to be fooled by it. Mm-hmm. So it's best to stop it. Um, but sadly, even I and other referees are fooled because players are so good at it. Yeah. No, that's right. And that's some right. of these, some of these are only seen, Harry, when you go and have a look at the, uh, the replays. Exactly, exactly. It is a very difficult job and I'm not for a minute, um, you know, disputing that. I I totally get it. I think it's really difficult. I think as fans, sometimes we need to take our emotion out of it and look at the incident for what it is and understand why the the referee may have made that decision. And, you know, I, I must say I'm usually pretty good at doing that after I've calmed down, after the incident's passed. Um, But Keith, what would you rate Atkinson's performance at the weekend out of 10? Because this is something we've spoken about earlier on in the show, and I want to see whose number you're closer to. (laughs) Well, for me, uh, he's made a major mistake. So um, it's a five. Okay. Interesting. Uh, You know, I brought it, I brought Ari to just outline that. I, I, when we get at the elite level of, of refereeing, the errors that are made are the big ones, yep. usually. And what I said very clearly in the marking process that I inherited out of a scale of 10, um, I suddenly said, right, what we're going to do is where uh, the referee makes a major error, he will get a 59. He can't get any more. Yep. Now, everybody, all the referees thought that was harsh. What it did... He put the focus on referees who are very competitive by nature to start to look carefully at how they could avoid uh, making these major errors. It was a deterrent that got them thinking a little bit more carefully about, about their performances. Mm-hmm. Um, some people will say that's harsh. But then I'm looking at a result here that's a draw that should have been a win for Arsenal. Yeah, that's right. But it's as simple as that. The yeah. game has been influenced um, by errors uh, by the match officials as a team. Yeah, don't disagree any of that. So the other side would be um, Martin next week um, would not be out in a game. Mm-hmm. So that's the other. That's the other side that punishes him a little bit financially because he yeah. doesn't get a match fee. I mean. Oh, over the last couple of weeks, I saw John Moss at Man City um, miss two red card challenges, had a very poor game. Um, and then his reward, for me, it would have been sat on his hands 
and you know let's try another referee let's give the referee another opportunity to referee the following week where's John Moss he was at Manchester United yeah yeah it and, feels and like they're not accountable for their actions this way isn't it no there isn't at the moment and, and I brought that in as the, as the referee's boss I I, I emphasised the point to them look gentlemen you're now getting paid and, and you're getting paid a reasonable amount of money. And the difference between when I refereed, we didn't want to make mistakes, we were amateurs, you're now professional, and professionals have to get better at it, and it's practice, practice, and, and, and all that comes with it. But there is a level of accountability. Absolutely. They looked at me and we had the discussions, and I said, just a minute, I'm a manager of a Premier League team, and the centre forward is not putting the ball in the back of the net. Lukaku right? Mm-hmm. Is he going to play next week? I doubt it. You know, I mean, th- th- this is the manager saying you're either out of form, which is invariably you're not making the right decisions, so you're out yep. of form, have a rest. That's right. That's right. Let, and it, let it makes someone perfect else. sense. That's right. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, Keith, you mentioned at the top of, of uh, when you joined me about your book. Do you want to just let our listeners know where they can find it as well um, so they can get their hands Well, on uh, it, they, they can purchase it from Amazon. Um, it, there's a Kindle version, um, oh, and yeah. then it's um, certainly in Waterstones. I noticed the other day I was in Waterstones buying another book, and uh, uh, our books were there. So um, it's there in the shops. It's only a relatively small size book. Don't go hunting for an A4 it's uh, something that you can carry about comfortably. Um, and it's got some wonderful drawings of players in the Premier League currently and managers uh, who uh, Paul Trevelyan's pieces of art are absolutely marvellous. Brilliant, brilliant. And like I said, I, I look forward to getting my hands on it and uh, having a good read and then we can have you back on and we can talk all about it. Great. Brilliant. Look forward Keep- to that. Me too, me too. Keith, thank you very, very much for joining me once again. I know you're really busy, so I really do appreciate it when you come on. And uh, we'll speak again in the very near future. Thanks, Harry. That brings us to the end of another Chronicles of Aguna podcast brought to you by loserpool.com, a fantastic new betting site. Do check them out loserpool.com you can also follow them on twitter at loserpool uh yeah stay tuned till the very end and you can hear more information on this brand new game until thursday take care bye bye guy who loves sports and loves outwitting other people. Our hero needs to show the world his mastery of the game. Our hero does this by playing games at Loserpool. Our hero 
is you. Loserpool has two games. In the namesake, the games of an entire season are grouped together into weeks or rounds. After paying an entry fee, you choose one team to lose that week or round. If you're correct, you earn the right to repeat the process in the next round. But the catch is that you cannot choose a team a second time until all the teams have been chosen by you once. If you're knocked out early, you may re-enter the same pool by paying a penalty to make it fair for the other players. Or you may wait until the next pool starts in a few weeks. Razor Pool is similar to Loser Pool in that the games of an entire season are grouped together. But in this case, you pay the entry fee and predict the outcome of all the games in that week or round. You will be ranked against all other players according to your accuracy. And at the end of each round, a predetermined percentage of players will be eliminated. There is no option to buy back into a pool if you are eliminated, <laughs> and so you will have to wait until the next pool starts to play again. In both games, the prize money grows very rapidly. The pool is allocated to the last man standing, or to add a little drama, to a small surviving group if they vote according to predetermined rules. Loser Pool is about community, friendship, fun and rivalry. Discuss and debate the games and events of the week with players from around the world. Invite your friends and co-workers into your own sub-pools and see who can outsmart the group and earn bragging rights. This is your moment. Create an account. Show your sports genius. Be the hero.